while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my guest today, my reasonable voice today, is actress Jane Van Boskirk, who has performed 30 different historical women in the past 40 years. After four decades of playing the roles of various real-life characters, however, Jane Van Boskirk decided to become a gardener on her two-thirds of an acre property. While gardening, Jane's mind often wandered to a variety of current events like global warming, more often referred to as climate change these days, but which increasingly transformed her peaceful gardening to fears for humankind. It was then that colleagues at a college reunion insisted that what was best for Jane was to get back into acting. So... Influenced, perhaps, by the example of a friend who had successfully toured Mark Twain and Teddy Roosevelt, Van Boskirk decided to revive her Eleanor Roosevelt. When I invited Jane to join us again today, I thought it had been so long ago since we'd spoken, because so much has happened since we've spoken, but we actually spoke in January 2020. What Jane Van Boskirk launched was her touring production of Across a Barrier of Fear, which seemed to to marry her concerns with those of Eleanor Roosevelt, who, though a product of the Gilded Age, saw through her liberal lens the need for reform. Welcome back, Jane Van Boskirk, to the Reasonable Voices radio program. How are you today? Well, just fine, but was it just a year ago we talked? That seems amazing. I know, and not even a year. That's that's what I thought. When I saw yeah. that, I went, goodness. Okay, well, you know, the world keeps turning, as they say. But, <laughs> yeah. but you yeah, and I, I have you. kept moving. And I know the world is still reeling from COVID-19, or SARS-CoV-2, as my medical guests tell me. But first responders of every kind especially the the staffs in hospitals and firefighters uh, they are our front line now and and theater 
the performing arts, as well as film and TV production, which depend on the collaboration of many, many people, just got snuffed out abruptly, like, like blowing out a candle. While I've been able to edit remotely a number of finished video productions that I had directed, on March 11th of this year, planned productions for the rest of 2020 were shut down. So I ask you, Jane, is my first question to you. When did you last perform your tour of Across a Barrier of Fear, and how was this your full-length show tour doing before the pandemic? Well, I was having an exciting time hopping from state to state. I first went to Tennessee in early February. Then I did a tour of Florida. Then I hopped up to South Carolina and then North Carolina, which was when everything started shutting down. Mm. Um, uh, I noticed it in my audience. I was performing for seniors and usually I pa- I've been selling out all my shows up mm-hmm. till then and there was a noticeably smaller audi- audience you know it was only three quarters filled perhaps but less than that mm. then I go up to Virginia to do shows in Maryland and Virginia and Pennsylvania and started getting phone calls, people concerned about the virus, and by and large, by, oh, let's say March 10th, I was saying, let's not do this, let's not go there, you know, Mm. it's too dangerous for your audience and me, and the people I was staying with, to be sure. So, um, unfortunately, it dragged on a bit because a couple of the venues wanted to continue, but sure enough, all of them bailed um, as it got hotter and hotter. And I flew back to Oregon. I was supposed to go on up to New York and shows in Oregon and Eastern Oregon, which would have been fun. But I flew back to Oregon. It was St. Patrick's Day. Uh-huh. And the you know, the plane was empty practically, and I felt safe. But <laughs> I walked in the door, my husband <laughs> insisted on taking my clothes, sprayed me <laughs> down, and my suitcases with disinfectant. So it was quite an ordeal. But we had moved to a condo, and with the riots in Portland, it wasn't bad. The news really overstated what Portland went through, but we were in the midst of it downtown. Mm. And I, the only problem I had was the helicopters, you know, coming around our 19th floor and, you know, kind of zapping the uh, piece. So we bought a house and we're delighted. Oh, great. We live out in the suburbs. Yeah, it's just as cute as it could be and not the huge place we had before so Uh it's much more manageable so i have a a greenhouse even in the backyard that i'm nurturing my plants in but on to what happened as far as eleanor was concerned oh boy the depression i missed her (laughs) yes i can imagine you know well you know when you play any character but i think especially when you play a real person a real uh-huh. figure in history. I mean, it gets into your bone marrow. And when it stops, I mean, for instance, 
As a director, I'm there for the opening night, and I try to get back for the closing night. Closing night, they start to take down the set, and I'm standing there, and it's really painful. So I can imagine for you, touring the country and doing so many performances as Eleanor Roosevelt, it must have been a terrible, painful thing to just to just lose her like that, to feel like she was slipping through your fingers and disappearing. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, it, it was sad. I mean, you know, I was back being Jane Van Bosker. <laughs> no, thank you. Not that that's so awful, you know, but <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and you know, I, I, I turned to Eleanor in my depressions, you know, uh, as to how I mean, she had depression too. Oh, yes, oh, yes, but she always found a way to work through it and make the best of what was going on. So, uh, that's basically what came to me. Actually, a girlfriend brought it up, you know, well. What would Eleanor say about this pandemic? Ah, and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. of course, what would she do? Yeah. Now, there isn't, because this is, the pandemic happened when Eleanor was birthing babies and, you know, still yes. uh, the housewife role. So yes. she wasn't a, a leader type at the time. The only thing we do know is that. Franklin goes to Europe mm-hmm. in, ni- in oh, 1918. Oh, yes, that's right, that's right, yes. He was the secretary for the Navy, uh-huh. and he went to Europe and to close down the naval facilities. Well, the pandemic was raging in Europe, and he came back on a ship, and mm. he got it then. Yeah. So when he got back home to Hyde Park... Eleanor did a simple thing that any wife would do is while he was bedridden, she unpacked his suitcase. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. I know but, this story, yes. You know the story about her finding the yeah. love letters yes, from yes. Lucy Mercer. Yes. So, you know, we wrote a script about that, about how even during the most frantic of time something else will happen that will make it even more devastating more a change of life and you know while i talk to friends during the pandemic many things have happened to other people too during this time where they have a reawakening to something good or something really bad and so we thought well okay she found the letters and how it changed her life and her marriage and all that and so I memorized the script we taped it and then I looked at it (laughs) and I went wait a minute you know if anything Eleanor would tell us about the pandemic it wouldn't be about her personal that, problems. That's true. That's she true. would not, you know, for her to indulge that was, is not Eleanor Roosevelt. In fact, in real life, she never spoke openly about Lucy Mercer, her husband's lover. Mm-hmm. So we went back to the drawing board. Well, what would she talk about? Well, the problems of the pandemic, you know, what yes. what lessons did we learn from the pandemic what insights did we gain through this and she first of all brought up health care yes because well she 
I don't know if she called it health care. That's such a buzzword nowadays. Yeah. But uh, how the hospitals at the time were just crammed with patients, yes. not knowing, you know, what the disease was. The doctors and nurses, of course, would get sick and and die too yeah. and you know that is very similar to what's going on now and I'm sure she would say in retrospect well this has taught us we need to have health care for our workers and mm. their families yes you've answered a number of my questions and that's fine I always love oh. that when guests <laughs> do that but in your new work what would Eleanor say you mm-hmm. you portray Eleanor Roosevelt as she might have responded to a question about her experiences with the pandemic of 1918. And although she wasn't a public figure, really, at the time, I mean, Franklin was certainly, as you say, he was the Secretary of the Navy, which is no slouch position after all, but but still, she was reluctantly, years later, speaking for him when he could not get around, shall we say. But how her experiences seem all too familiar in our current COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. There are unmistakable similarities. But first, let, let's, since you touched on the technicalities of video, how quickly were you able to switch to video and produce your new work? What would Eleanor say? How did, how did that go about? What, what was the process for you? Well, the process originally was to borrow my daughter's video camera and see how it, that worked. Uh-huh. <laughs> It looked dreadful, you know. I mean, it was just uh, kind of, you know, an amateur joke, you know. So the word spread around my community about me needing a videographer, and it just so happened. We met uh, a man who sings in our choir that did this for, let's see, was it Nike or... Well, it it was one of the big companies here in town, and he was retiring from that job but still wanted to do more video, Uh and he had has good cameras and lighting and et cetera, what you really need for something like this. But he had never done a dramatic presentation like what we're doing, Mm -hmm. and we work together to make this happen. It was a long time going, you yes. know, it was practically the summer of us going back and forth and finding this didn't work and this worked and, you know, he, he has friends in New York who are theater people and, you know, they would critique his camera work and my girlfriends and theater friends would critique my work. Mm-hmm. So it was a process, but we finally, one day he just came to the house and said, we're going to do this today, Jane. And we ended up doing it in my front room. <laughs> we had a site picked out along the Columbia Gorge that was a nice, you know, uh, 2030s looking building that had a room that fit nicely for Eleanor. But you know, my house was built in 1927, so yes, why there not? You are exactly. Do it here. <laughs> so and just and did I it have in my to, living room. You you know, and I have to say, as a professional video director, I really appreciated the video. I think both of you did a marvelous job, 
And, of course, you capture Eleanor Roosevelt, as you have been quite experienced at doing. But to switch from theater to video is, once you know how to do it, it's easy. It seems like, oh, of course, but I've had to work with a lot of theater actors to help them make that transition to be on camera. And I think you did exceptionally well. And I think part of that is due to your comfort with your character and your comfort that you knew him and that he knew what he was doing. And that shows. So uh, my hat off to you, truly. Well, Uh, thank you so much. I wonder, um, I want to skip if I could. I want to go backwards for a bit, just so we understand in some degree, as well as you do understand, Eleanor. Eleanor was a kind of a foreshadowing, I guess. Um, tell us about the Gilded Age and why uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's... I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but Eleanor Roosevelt was definitely a product of the Gilded Age, even if she was uncomfortable with it. And then she grew out of it. She had a very different reaction to that era. And some of that reaction, I think, had to do with her finding those letters because she didn't feel married like all the Gilded Age women were, because that was the standard. She felt that she, well, she had to learn how to be independent. But anyway, I don't want to answer my own question. How do you feel, (laughs) first of all, how she was impacted by the Gilded Age, and more importantly, why her reaction to it as she came out of it and came out of herself? Well, a lot, of course, had to do with the fact that she finally found herself going to preparatory school with Mademoiselle Sylvestre in England. Mm. This woman opened up Eleanor to believe that she was worth something. I mean, she had such a devastating childhood what with uh, feeling so homely and so out of place compared to her beautiful aunties and mother. And, mm. mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, to be swept off her feet and really in love with Franklin must have been wonderful. But, you know, again, she was a product of her age and that period, and she carried on some of the prejudices. In fact, that's the next script is prejudice of of her uh, community. But Franklin gave her a new fuse but you know the mother-in-law of course kind of squelched that what with taking over so yes she had to do something else now it took her many years to Mm. get over that that oh that devastation of of losing her husband and realizing that kind of marriage isn't in the cards for her yes but she did. Yes, she she did. did. And, you know, uh, World War One. even though I know she despised it, you know, she was able to help out. Yes. And that's where I think Eleanor finds her strength. Well, I think it is true of all of us. If we give to others, if we really care about others, we can't spend so much time worrying about ourselves and feeling sorry for ourselves. That is the key to health as far as Eleanor and me who who admires her so much go for. You you need to, to to be loving to others and to gather those people and and do something about it, you know. But anyway, excellent. I don't know if I no, answered your question. That no, that was excellent and it's a great place to take a break. 
that the real healing power is in helping others. Uh, that was a go. marvelous answer. We are talking with Jane Van Buskirk, who is, when she's not Jane Van Buskirk, Eleanor Roosevelt. And we're going to, I promise, in the next segment, talk about her new work, which is now on video. And that is What Would Eleanor Say? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. When we first saw the best exotic marigold hotel, we were surrounded by a sea of blue hair. Not punk dye job blue, but the natural old age gray kind. And boy, did they love this story. Seven elderly Brits succumb to promotions of affordable luxury retirement living in India. Predictably, upon arrival, their accommodations offer less than the luxury depicted, setting the stage for a rich tableau of reaction, story, and experience. This film features prime British acting royalty. Dame Judi Dench, Dame Maggie Smith, Bill Nye, and Tom Wilkinson, to name a few. Not everyone may recognize these names, but suffice it to say that their mastery in the art of character would make utterly fascinating their reading of a dictionary. And they have been given a wonderfully sensitive and comedic story to complement their considerable talents. Sure, the storyline of aging, hope, disappointment, staying positive and facing death turns out older viewers. So, not about the young? Of course it is. Time marches forward and all can thoroughly enjoy contemplation of what is current for some and future for the rest. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. Our Reasonable Voice guest today is Jane Van Boskirk. She is an actress who has been playing historical women for four decades, and she has specialized particularly in her first production, theater production, stage production, of Across a Barrier of Fear about Eleanor Roosevelt. But now we're going to talk about her new production, COVID-19 has caused a lot of things to close down in many occupations um, that have nothing to do with theater, but certainly theater has been hit, Broadway is closed, and we actors, I include myself in that with Jane, we actors have to uh, come up with uh, clever ways to keep going, and she has decided to do a video series, and she has begun, the first episode has been shot, and the title of the new work is what would Eleanor say? So that's where we're going to pick up. We got a little backstory of the Gilded Age and Eleanor's challenges in life long before she became a, a, a recognizable public figure. But let's talk about the video. What would Eleanor say? This is a video series. I found the music and the choice of the photos for your video, Jane, quite mood setting. And that's, for me as a director, that is essential. I can count on one hand how many times I've seen a film and within the first few frames, 10 measures of music, the mood is set. And one of them was Robert Redford's um, Horse Whisperer. So I would like to say, so who, did you make the choices, the music and photos, or who did that? No, 
that was the other artist, so to speak, <laughs> Chris Nielsen. Chris Nielsen went to the University of Boston and several other schools for his graduate work. And he's landed out here in Oregon, happily for me. Mm-hmm. And I let him have full reign. I just said, this is your bailiwick. You do this, you know. And so he did that. And I appreciate his good, hard work. Excellent work, too. And he's your videographer who did that? Yes. Excellent. Well, my again, my hat off to him. Please tell him how very impressed I was with his work. What about the narrator, the voice? That was him as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's a multi-talent. <laughs> well, great. I was kind of hoping it was the judge, but he, but, <laughs> but your videographer, really, he wore all the hats he needed to to allow you to be Eleanor. Also now, did you use slides during the theater performance of Cross the Barrier of Fear? You know, that is something that I did in my first ever one-woman show where I did the Northwest Woman, and we had this huge rear screen projector, and, you know, in small theaters, we had to bounce it off this mirror of mylar, Mm. and it was such a production that I didn't want to necessarily repeat that but I love I mean I did it before Ken Burns I'll let you know okay then <laughs> 1980 <laughs> you know and I, I, I love that uh, quality because you know uh, y- you see the photographs of what she's saying about what she's saying and it, it means so much and those were fun to uh, investigate and look at but mainly it was Chris's artwork well it did enhance the the storyline because mm-hmm. we need what we call b-roll we need to cut away and be able to visualize in addition to what we're hearing the actor say, we can actually see this happening. And of course, in any case, it all comes together and it works. Thank you. Yeah, and not only that, I think people can only listen for so long, yes. you know, of course, this is awful to say on radio, I guess, you know, people are tuning <laughs> out right now. But you know, it changes but, you know, when you're when on you're radio. Speaking, you know, like with Eleanor's show that I do, the hour-long show, I try to really change the mood and go this way, that way, you know. Mm-hmm, of course, mm-hmm. that's pretty easy with Eleanor, because she... You know, she ran around That's anyhow. Right. <laughs> she didn't sit still very often. That's true. No, she did not. How and why? I mean, I guess it's an obvious question, COVID, we've talked about. But any other reasons? Would you have decided to make the move to video without COVID, you think? I don't think so. I so believe in live theater that, you know, people have wanted to videotape my shows in the past and I've always shied away from it I don't know why I had this fear of camera but you know because once I finally did it it was a piece of cake yeah. <laughs> but you know I I, I I don't know what I would have, you know it's it's like COVID you know things happen you don't expect to happen yes <laughs> in, in, in this time you it's, know it's not easy to recognize or to admit without hurting some people who hurt a lot more than you and I but there are silver linings in the COVID-19 there are things I've learned to do 
that mm -hmm. I never would have tried to do, and now I know how to do them. So you go on. How how's that experience feeding you and your video? Oh well, it's it's a, a lot of excitement. You know, uh, my next show will be about racial inequality and healthcare. This is another big. Well, maybe it was the first thing really. Uh, her views on prejudice and mm. uh, raci racial issues. Important topics that are so important right now that Eleanor brought up. Yes. I mean, she, she, it was like she could talk today and, and be very well in, in tune with the times. Yes. And so that's the next thing. And of course, you know, there's women's suffrage, but yes. the four freedoms are, are also fascinating to me. Freedom from want, freedom from fear. You know, those things I think need to be addressed to help unify our country. Eleanor was so proud of our people and so much hope in Americans. And as do I, I mean, <sighs> darn it, you know, we came here to better ourselves, I, I always thought, you know, the immigrant experience of of coming here and really wanting to make a better life yes. i i think it is so vital to the bones of america yes. and i i want to bring that up again and well i don't know i haven't written the script yet so i don't know how it'll turn out but i'd like to address that issue yes and of I, course suffrage and well there's so many things but well, yeah there, there are and and the the bad side of, of that coin is that we still need Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, you know, because oh, yes. obviously we haven't learned the lessons. I mean, health care. Yeah. I mean, in 1918, there were a lot of things different about health care and a lot of things that doctors and nurses didn't know. So there is that difference, which makes it, frankly, even more inexcusable that a government can ignore the needs of healthcare professionals in 2020, but don't get me started. But you've got yeah. it. It's, you know, women's uh, suffrage. African-American women, African-Americans in general, didn't get the right to vote until Johnson signed Kennedy's Civil Rights Act into law. And, you know, that was 1965. 1965. Okay. hundred exactly. years after the Civil exactly. War. All right. But we, we may, I don't want to stray too far, but but we're not going too far because we're still talking about Eleanor Roosevelt and and she was ahead of her time to put it seems so trite to say that because she was more yeah. than that but but Woodrow Wilson you know democrats like to uh, my republican friends by the way i have to say this on on their behalf my republican friends never fail to remind me that the first president who ever called himself a progressive which he was not was Woodrow Wilson a Democrat? But in addition to not being a progressive by any standards, he lied to the suffragettes. He was not at all friendly to anyone of color. So, not at all. Anything else you want to tell us, Eleanor Roosevelt, about how you feel about Woodrow Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a great man, but uh, she did not agree with everything he did. Now, during the pandemic, he didn't. I mean, Trump 
you know, puts it down and yeah. it's, you know, it's going to go away any day now. But she, he didn't say a word about it. And not only that, the press and the, the Sedition Act in 1918, where you can't badmouth the government or, yes. you know, not sell war bonds because, you know, the war is all important. He wanted to win that war. That was it. And he didn't want people talking about this pandemic, which was raging in Europe, and neither did the other European countries that were in the war, Germany, France, and England. And it's ironic that Spain, the only country that would talk about it in their newspapers was blamed for it. Yes. That, <laughs> Those I'm, dirty Spaniards. I know, let's you know. Let's call it the I Spanish know. flu. I, I mean, oh gosh. Wilson, we bring this up in the monologue that more American soldiers were killed by the flu than on the battlefield. Yes. They would put these soldiers together in a petri dish, and they just died. You know, there was no no way around it. And the dishonesty of Wilson and the newspapers, the newspapers refused to say anything about it. Yes. You know, doctors would literally write to the newspapers, and they wouldn't print the letters. Yeah, and. Then, when war ended, those men came back, men and women, came back with the flu, infecting people at home. I mean, it it seems so inhuman that, you know, they'd have the big parades and gatherings, and 10 days later, what was it, in Pennsylvania, I think 10,000 people got the flu. Yes. You know, and we and we should say because when you say flu these days, uh, you think it's not a, a big deal because we can get a shot for the flu. But let's be reminded that what actress Jane Van Buskirk is talking about is the flu of 1918, and yes. and it killed many many people. Again, blaming it on the Spanish and like Trump blames this pandemic on the Chinese. It seems we always need to point to someone and say it's your fault, not ours. But, you know. Yeah, you need to blame someone else. It makes you feel better. I have to say one thing, though, that you have reminded me of. I knew but forgot. And so thanks for the reminder. A big positive difference is that after two years of smirking and laughing at and ignoring a, a lot of the things Trump was doing, our media now is really on top of this pandemic, and they they are keeping it before us all the time, which is very different from the period in which you're playing Eleanor Roosevelt, when, as you said, the papers wouldn't print it, and the doctors were sending the information to the newspapers, and they mm-hmm. wouldn't print it. And, of course, the final irony of all of this is that Wilson came down with the flu at the Treaty of Versailles, where he was trying to convince the French not to go so heavy down on the Germans. He wanted to start this League of uh, Nations and, you know, wanted people to get along, which was good of him. But he was so sick and so delusional that he couldn't make his points, and as a result, France did 
severely pressured Germany, which scholars have said pushed Germany into a place of nationalism because they were so beat up on this that Hitler was allowed to rise. Well, I would say the Treaty of Versailles, I wouldn't quite personalize it on Woodrow Wilson alone, but but he certainly had, like, like all of us, he had plenty of faults. And, and yeah. after a while, you get it. It's a little difficult to continually say uh, he was a product of his time. We all are a product of our time, but there are people like Eleanor Roosevelt who come out of that, go beyond that. We're not just a product, but we are leading our time into a new time. How's that as a definition for your character? I think that's much more. I, I mean, I'm an actress. I have to blow things out of proportion. What can I tell you? <laughs> No, Laura, that wasn't a criticism. Sorry, you all you I know as a teenager, or maybe I was younger than that, let's hope, I read a book about Wilson. I just thought, oh, my gosh, he was a king. You know, yeah. I just thought he, he did everything right. But obviously the book was slanted, or my teenagehood was slanted, because I'm just appalled at the things I've read about him and well, his inability. I've had a, I had a, a similar journey when I saw the movie Wilson, oh. which is a fabulous PR job, uh, but uh, I loved it. I Oh, I wept as a child. I was so that an American president could be like this man, Woodrow Wilson. And we make all uh-huh. our heroes, especially older movies, we make them super human beings. And and that's okay. I guess it serves a purpose as, as I feel we've, we've grown out of that and the pandemic ever goes away so that we can pick up that new journey, which is an emphasis on documentary and an emphasis on biopics that are truthful, more factual. I'd like to see the, the blemishes as well so that we can weigh them as real people and understand we're not perfect either. Ah, yeah. For all that we've said, I know we've probably touched on it uh, uh, quite a bit, but what is it that you want the audiences who see your video series, what would Mm -hmm. Eleanor say? What do you want them to take away from that? To gain perspective, to, to understand the past and the lessons it's taught us, and, and not to ignore it. I think people sometimes just go look at the past as well that's happened and blah 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 you know but I I strongly urge people to to get the perspective right or wrong I mean people need to get through this pandemic and see others have gotten through it and and see the mistakes we had made and and wear a mask for crying out loud (laughs) you know really you know, it's such a simple solution. And although, I know. although and I want to point, people thinking it's taking away their rights. I, it's just, oh. uh, you know, it's hard to. It's just hard to imagine. They've always. I mean, America has never been all the talk of united we stand. America has always been divided in its opinions. But uh-huh. usually, we have come together more often than not, and at least argued, if not discussed them civilly. And right. come up with some kind of compromise. Not wasn't always fast or easy, but we did that. But now it's just uh, 
we created a situation where America was not really a happy place to live anymore. And what happens? We get a global pandemic that puts us all inside and most of us behind masks and says, now look at yourself. Think about it. You now have a, a pause, an imposed uh, time out. What are your thoughts, Jane? Oh, nice. I like that. An imposed timeout, uh, you know, it, it really captures this time because I, I, I do hope and pray that people will reflect on their lives and and on this country and oh, make it better. Yes. All right, Jane. You you are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actress, wonderful human being. Always great, just so stimulating to have a conversation with you. I well, thank um, you. I, I just want, let's make certain we people know how to find you. Uh, Jane Van Boskirk, B-O-S-K-I-R-K, and that's Jane, J-A-N-E, at Jane Van, V-A-N, Boskirk.com. And, and the, to see the video, it's on that website. Okay, and the website is www.janevanboskirk.com. It's on YouTube. Oh, I guess you could look up my name on YouTube as well, but I think it'd be a lot easier on you if you just went to my website. Okay, what is next, Jane? You are writing the new scripts for because again, I want to stress. What would Eleanor say is a video series? It's not just one video. I have mm -hmm. seen the first one, and that's why I called Jane, but it is a series. So you are now writing the next two or three episodes, or what's happening? Well, yeah, the next episode. <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, writing, I use collaborators. I use my friends and brilliant playwrights I know and people who have an interest in Eleanor and her her word, her her thoughts as well. And any historian who wants to uh, call up and give me ideas is welcome <laughs> because <laughs> you know I, I I can cobble things together. I, I I like to do that, and I also like to get other insights of Eleanor. They're always welcome. All right then, we'll leave it at that. But we will be talking again, I'm sure, because I will be watching for the series, What Would Great. Eleanor Say? And I hope you'll come back, okay? Thank you again. My pleasure. In the meantime, all the best as writer all and right. performer. Okay. Bye now, dear. Stay safe. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Writer-director Paul Weitz is an industry pro already well-known for such favorites as About a Boy, In Good Company, Ants, and Even American Pie. In Grandma, he brings us not only a beloved star in Lily Tomlin, but core indie sensibility and humor that arises from relatable life experiences. Tomlin, in her first leading role in Way Too Long, plays Elle, the lesbian feminist grandmother of Sage, Julia Garner. When Sage finds herself pregnant and in need of help, her survival instinct leads her not to her iron-willed and caffeine-fueled mom, a pitch-perfect Masha Gay Harden, but to the give-em-hell fighter she trusts to win in a clinch. Grandma L is a bit broke. 
To raise needed cash, she turns to friends from the past, and even to her long-ago husband, Sam Elliott. Each visit completes more of her story one teaspoon at a time. In the end, we have come to know this woman and to love and admire her strength-based laughter in the face of the troubled life she has chosen. This is a revealing portrait of a woman who has battled life into submission, an outsider who never once considered surrender. Thoughtful, humorous, and spare. Distinctive indie perfection. Grandma. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. How January caricatures determine November character. If we are to maintain a home of the brave enough to sustain all life in America, regardless of political persuasion, sexual preference, gender, or skin pigmentation, unlike Senate Republicans, we'll need to heed the Senate's 30 January 2020 opening prayer, or forever ban words like Christian and United, assumptions like justice for all, or making one person one vote, a slam dunk for equal individual freedom. Let us pray. Eternal Lord God, send your Holy Spirit into this chamber. Permit our senators to feel your presence during this impeachment trial. Illuminate their minds with the light of your wisdom, exposing truth and resolving uncertainties. May they understand that you created them with cognitive capabilities and moral discernment to be used for your glory. Grant that they will comprehend what really matters, separating the relevant from the irrelevant. Lord, keep them from fear, as they believe that your truth will triumph through them. Eliminate discordant static with the music of your wisdom. We pray in your great name. Amen. Well, if Alan Dershowitz, president, believes Rick Scott is acting in the country's best interest post-Ukraine exposure, then why not a wannabe 2000 throwback aiding and abetting a morally impoverished POTUS, drowning in the misery of democratic numbers? But where is an in-kind FEC when America needs it? Through parents, teachers, and life, most Americans have experienced many of the comedies, mysteries, and tragedies that mold America a malleable ball of clay that keeps on bouncing, though not always forward, consistent, or without taking a time out. Sometimes America makes the shot, like Eleanor Roosevelt's successful interception from Constitution Hall, passing the ball to the Lincoln Memorial, where Marian Anderson hit it out of the park. Sometimes Americans, remembering well our founding fathers' training, have teamed up particularly after a day of infamy, to liberate those who are most fouled in war and peace, and who, like descendants of American slavery, must never allow any of us to forget, including America's archivists, refusing to certify the constitutional implementation of a ratified Equal Rights Amendment. At least two American tragedies, 22 November 1963 and 11 September 2001, the former flopping Camelot vision into 24-7 talking heads, and the latter post-free-throw foghorn, and America's mayor fouled, proving American tragedy was often manipulated into the horror of war for profit, 
on the backs of innocent patriots still charging the goalpost of honest hard work, expecting to score what was promised, a new deal. Before Mitch McConnell's Senate no-witness vote, we dreamed Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Doughboys and G.I. Joes balanced two world wars like Samson's temple pillars, so Caucasian men could recapture the American dream until a foggy bottom conjured blood-red seas potential in Cold War. Following a 1958 bomb, how could players imagine a 1929 first cry was the clarion call of a king? warning any pool, school, society, government, or geography close to all of God's children would be overcome by nonviolence on the field. It was less a contest contesting playing it too safe and more our inner coach coaching against further timeouts. Humanitarian teams are still entering the arena, continuing to play for blind justice, seizing the torch of remembered stars to defeat discrimination on all its systemic platforms, courageously advancing into the unknown to master demons within and without. However, focus overly pitched by devices robs consideration of the power of words, deflating teamwork like an altered game ball, enabling a simple axis of evil to be objectified with the oversimplified. Of course, January is not America's only obstruction to democracy. But when 2009's miracle on the Hudson resurfaced our good Samaritan memories, until 20 January 2017, and baseball conservatives needing a straight-shooting African-American lesbian. Seeing beyond conservative votes against her to a global trotting women's march, she leveled the playing field, driving our male-dominated roller coaster toward Virginia's ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. Inhaling January's Emancipation Proclamation and Ellis Island opening, then exhaling Trump's 2020 articles of impeachment, may we yet distinguish between champions and charlatans. And in November, pass along a received assist, and united in full court press, render McConnell's January GOP offensive a total turnaround. Yet, even when we rise to full democratic height, Assured and united we stand, dribbling through celestial stars to steal one turnover for the fabric to which we pledge our allegiance. Remember, the universe slaps down arrogance on purpose. Silence shattered by the shot clock, unable to absorb loss, we turn too late to see what still could be. Before dreams scrubbed with tears, Dissolve into memories of what might have been. Let us internalize this wisdom. Not only we, but those we elect, reap what we sow. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. 
Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.